Our scripture this morning is found in two places, uh, and it's a parallel text. One is actually a, a, a prophecy, and the other is <clears throat> the announcement of the fulfillment of that prophecy several hundred years later. And it's very fitting as we move into this sermon series about singing what we believe and believing what we sing. And our first hymn that Pastor Mike is going to lead us through, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, we've already sung. And here are the words in the scriptures from which that appears. The first is found in Isaiah chapter 7, and the context of this text is that King Ahaz, the king of Judah, has, has just become aware of the fact that his enemies will be conspiring against him to try to overthrow Jerusalem. And the prophet comes to him and declares to him that God will be with him and asks him to ask God for a sign, and of course King Ahaz does not, so God himself promises a sign. And here are the words Again the Lord spoke to Ahaz, Ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear now you, house of David, is it not enough to try the patience of humans? Will you try the patience of my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and will call him Emmanuel. And then hundreds of years later, the gospel writer Matthew connects the events of Jesus' birth with the fulfillment of this prophecy, when he writes in chapter 1, verses 18 through 25, these words, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord, we are thankful for the words of these prophecies, Lord, but most of all for the fulfillment of them. And we thank you, Lord, for the fact that we can come here today and sing these words and believe them in our hearts. We pray for Pastor Mike as he comes to share the meaning of these songs and ask, Lord, that they would add to our, uh, our wonder and glory of who you are. So may his words be your words and may you open the ears and hearts of your church. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I know Vicki said it in her opening lines here as our welcome uh, to remind you about Christmas Eve. If you've been part of Christmas Eve, I, I've been told by teachers over and over that if you uh, say something to a group, you need to say it 16, 17 times before they plug in. So let me make sure you know this. The one o'clock service is now a two o'clock service on Christmas Eve. You can still call it the one o'clock service, but come at two, okay? Uh, <laughs> We're looking forward to that, that, that earlier time or that later time, so come to that if you would. Um, during this holy season, 
Um, some of you may not be familiar with what is going on. This is in the world and in uh, the church, the time when we prepare for Christ to, to come. In the church, we call that this holy season of Advent because the Advent means the Advent, the, 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 the event of the Messiah coming, uh, Emmanuel, God with us. And so in preparation for that, not only do we decorate um, the church in a lot of different ways, we specifically decorate our church with an Advent wreath. And each week during this season, as we sing the carol for the day, you'll see one of us light that candle as a piece of our worship. This morning we light the first candle, and the first candle of the Advent wreath is, is lit as a symbol of Christ our hope. And we pray that, that God might shine in our darkness the way to salvation. And we cry out, O come, O come, Emmanuel. So, so that leads us to this time when we're going to celebrate and look through some of the carols for Christ of Christ. Last week in, in this spot, um, Keith's dad, um, Tony Nestor, came. And I thought, in, in my opinion, of, of a pastor, he gave a masterful sermon. Uh, masterful leadership to lead us to where we want to go in the carols of Christ. And he said three things that I think are worthy uh, of repeating. The first thing he said is, the answer to season treason is to sing. Okay, he talked a long time about how some of the stores, you know, as soon as they got their 4th of July decorations down, and they literally were moving some Christmas stuff in. And I know this to be fairly true because I was in one of our local stores on Halloween day. Because you know that's a good day to buy your cheap candy, right? I was in the store on Halloween day, and they were literally moving stuff out of the way to get the Christmas decorations up. Okay? And we can say, like, like Pastor Nestor said last week, oh, we can complain, but don't complain. Rather, do what Christians do. And our answer to season treason is not to say they're taking the Christ out of Christmas, but for us to put it back in by singing. So sing praise. And the second thing that went along with this that I love that he said is that pitch is not praise. Now, what that means is the Lord himself knows, because some of you have said to Pastor Mike, Pastor Keith, or others through the years, I cannot sing. We know. All right? <laughs> Some of you, when you sing, sound like a cat being mashed in a gate. I know that. It's okay. Because pitch is not praise. Praise is something that wells up out of your heart. I want to teach you a little bit, those of you that have gathered in United Methodist Congregational House this morning, a little bit about how we view singing. Find those blue hymnals, if you would. And I'm going to have you turn to something at the very beginning. Roman numeral page 7. For those of you that didn't go to Marion High, that's V-I-I, okay? It's at the very beginning. If you're starting to see notes and stuff, you're too far. I'm talking the very beginning. You barely get past the sheet where it says hymnal, and it says directions for singing. You see that on, on page V-I-I? Somebody getting there? All right. Because I want to tell you a little bit about how pitch... Is not praise. Look at rule number three, Roman numeral three. I love this one. It says this. This is for some of us, and I'm one of them, that says, well, I can't sing. This is what it says. Sing all. See that you join the congregation as frequently as you can. Let not a, sl a, a slight degree of weakness or weariness hinder you. If it is a cross to you, take it up. 
And you will find a blessing. So even if you're just saying the words, pick up that cross. You say, you know, we all have a cross to carry. Some of us, it's our bad pitch, right? But pick it up and sing your praise. Because pitch is not praise. Look at, at, at direction number four. Sing lustily and with good courage. Beware is, Now, this, this one comes to Methodists and Presbyterians specifically. Beware of singing as if you were half dead or half asleep. I didn't write this. That's John Wesley himself that wrote that. But lift up your voice with strength. Be no more afraid of your voice now, nor ashamed of its being heard, than when you sung the songs of Satan. So if you grew up singing 100 bottles of beer on the wall, you know, you can sit that, or if you can't grow up, you know, singing karaoke at Ted's Bar and Grill, you also should, with, with the same kind of gusto, be able to sing, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel. See, it doesn't sound good, but pitch is not praise. Sing. Praise the Lord. Look at verse 7, because this is where it comes home. Above all, sing spiritually. Have an eye to God in every word you sing. Aim at pleasing Him more than yourself or any other creature. In order to attend strictly to the sense of what you sing and see that your heart is not carried away with the sound, but offered to God continually, so share your singing, be such as the Lord will approve here and reward you when He cometh in the clouds of heaven. Sing praise to God. It may not sound perfect here, but when the praise of your heart lifts up, it sounds perfect in pitch in heaven. See, Christians, we need to concern ourselves with praise, not pitch. And I I thought the third thing that Tony said that I really want to reiterate today is sing what we believe and believe what we sing. You see, the carols of Christ that we're going to talk about over the next four or five weeks are all written with deep intent and purpose. These words are put to simplistic melodies to express our joy that God has cast his lot with humanity in Jesus. But don't miss the purpose of these songs. It's important for us when we sing what we believe and believe what we sing to match the melodies with the words that the artists or those inspired people with pens put together. We're not so good at this. We don't always get the words of the songs right. Have you ever noticed that? I was reading a blog about a guy that rides on the Metra in Washington, D.C. And he sits and watches. He's an observer of people. He says, you know, I like to observe people with their iPod, you know, iPads or their beatboxes on their heads and listen to what they're singing. Let me give you a few examples of what people sing. There's a song Rupert Holmes wrote a few years ago called Escape. You might know it as the Pina Colada song. It says, one of the lines says, if you like Pina Coladas. He said, I'm watching, I'm, I'm rolling down the, the, down the, you know, the tracks and, and this guy's, you know, singing the escape song and he gets to this one line and he says, if you like bean enchiladas, I, it, that's not what Rupert Holmes had in mind. Macy Gray wrote a song called I Try and, and, and one of the lines in I Try is my world crumbles when you were not near, but he heard a lady singing. I blow bubbles when you're not near. That's not what, <clears throat> not what she had in mind. And <clears throat> all of you know this because you might have <clears throat> made this mistake yourself. Elton John wrote a song called Tiny Dancer. And there's a line in there, hold me closer, Tiny Dancer. Some of you are laughing because you've made this mistake. He heard a guy on the subway singing, hold me closer, Tony Danza. That's not... <laughs> that's not... 
No idea what I'm holding in right now. So that's not what he had in mind. And, and I think my favorite one of all of these is Creedence Clearwater Revival, an old rock and roll band from back in the day, wrote a song, There's a Bad Moon Rising. Their first line says, There's a Bad Moon Rising. And this guy on the Metro heard one of his colleagues on the train saying, There's a bathroom on the right. I, I mean, <laughs> you see, when we're singing these songs, we need to make sure we put together the correct lyrics with the right melodies, which is why I want to talk about the carols of Christ. When we do the carols of Christ, just make sure you sing. Concern yourself with the praise that you have in your heart, not the pitch that comes out of your mouth, and sing exactly what you believe and believe exactly what you sing. O Come, O Come, Emmanuel is one of those songs that we've known for a long time. It's a simple, reverent tribute to the birth of Christ. It is very simplistic in its lyrics. And it talks about the fulfillment of God's promise to deliver his people, uh, his children from sin. We start with O Come, O Come, Emmanuel because it's likely the oldest hymn that we have uh, in the Christmas carols, in, in that variety. It wasn't translated into English until the 1850s. It was originally, and when you were singing that, if you had the hymnal open to, to page 211, and some of you will want to do that, there, there's seven what look like paragraphs on one side of the page, and, and they're called antiphons, which means someone calls out and the congregation responds, that, or, or usually they'd be chanted out and the congregation responds. And, and those antiphons are the seven, seven biblical names that are given to the Messiah, and, and they were to be sung or chanted back when this hymn was first written on succeeding days, the last seven days before Christmas. So you would do one antiphon a day until you get uh, to Christmas, Christmas Day. And, and, and though there's seven messianic titles and there are seven verses in our hymnal, we're just going to uh, talk about four because they're the most familiar four to us. Because they're the verses we tend to, to sing, plus we have uh, limited time on the clock. But here's what we know about um, this hymn. We love its haunting melody. It's one of the few Christmas carols written in a minor key. And you can't mistake it when it started to be played. Because O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, this is a song we love, and this is what we believe it believe when we sing. Let, let's look at the very first verse. United Methodist Hymnal 211 carries the hymn, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. First verse is this. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lowly exile here until the Son of God appear. Now, the concept of Emmanuel was rich in Israel because it has two little pieces. The first one is in Hebrew, Emmanuel means with us. And El means God. So if you take the two together, Emmanuel combines those two words and means God with us. Some of your Bibles might say God is with us. But either way, it means that God is present. Now, what is this all about? When the psalmist, when the, when the writer of this hymn, who has come into uh, history as anonymous, when he was writing this hymn, he had to be thinking back to the time towards the end of the book of Malachi, to that time in Israel's history, when for 400 years, the God who had been very active speaking in their lives, speaking to Moses, speaking to Abraham, speaking out loud to human beings, 
speaking to the prophets, had gone quiet. His voice had hushed. And they do not feel God because they cannot hear him. Now, now understand this, that 400 years is quite a number of generations. Generation upon generation upon generation have been told God used to speak to us all the time. God would speak to the fathers of our faith. God would speak to the men and women of renown. But no one in their generations, for 10 and 13 generations, had heard the voice of God speak. Now, now we can identify with that to a point because is not spiritual dryness a part of our lives today? Don't we sometimes go a day or a week? Sometimes don't we go a month? Some of us have gone through years that we have felt that God was quiet in our lives. And so we cry out, God, where are you? What's happening here? And there's a depth to the cry that we sing of when we, when we sing, Oh, come, oh, come, Emmanuel, because we know one thing, that Emmanuel has come once and we come, come back, come back. Emmanuel. When the, when, the, when the Hebrews were crying for God, they were saying, God, you were so with us, come back. And when the Christians singing, God, you were so with us in, in, in the Advent, come back, come back. So we all sing it in, in every generation because we desire it. We desire the fact that, that, that we desire God to be with us and we remind ourselves when we sing this over and over again, not just that we hunker, that we, that, that, that we hunger for it but that he will come. We believe that our God is a God who comes to be with us because Emmanuel, God with us, sums up for the believer what Christmas is all about. God knows we don't need the Messiah to appear like a 4th of July fireworks or a solar eclipse or some sort of magical apparition. God knows that we need Emmanuel to come and rescue us. And restore us. And God chooses to be Emmanuel. Because God comes to rescue us from our sins. And God chooses to come as Emmanuel. Because God comes to restore our relationship with Him. And we need both. Imagine this. You know, you're at the water wherever. And someone's drowning. They're out there drowning. What's the lifeguard going to do? Stand on the dock and say, You know, if you move your arms better this way, you'll be okay. You know what? Swim to the left. They're drowning. They can't swim. What does a lifeguard do? He gets, he or she gets in the water with him, right? He gets in the water or she gets in the water with a drowning person, goes to them and pulls them to the side. And then when they flip them up on the dock or onto the beach, they don't just say, well, rescued and walk away, do they? No, they do everything they can to restore life. If that person's lungs are filled up with water, they get down on their knees and they start blowing air into their lungs and pumping their chest and all those kind of things that people trained in those matters do. They don't simply just say, well, you're rescued, you'll be fine. They restore them too. And you see, this is what God does for us in Christ. Look at what it says in Matthew 1 verse 21. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. See, the hymn writer tells us to rejoice because this Emmanuel is this Savior. 
Emmanuel is this Savior. God is concerned with your troubles and your concerns. Do do you get that? Because if you don't get that, we're missing a lot here at church, in worship, in our fellowship. We need to understand that God cares about everything large and small, about your specific and individual life. That's why he comes to be personally with you. He isn't just coming as a blanket to get us all. He comes with the power of a blanket, but also a hand to reach to every single one of us. He comes to personally save you and to personally save me. He comes to, 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 to get me such as it was up on the dock of life, and then he restores my soul. And of course, we know as Christians how he pays the ransom for restoration. It's not that he just pushes down on our chest or breathes air into his lungs. He's willing to go to the cross uh, of the crucifixion so that his body must be, might be given up so that our spirits might be restored and live with God forever. So when we, when we come upon a hymn like this, sing. Sing like you believe that you've been rescued. Sing like you believe you've been restored. The second verse of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel goes like this. O come thou wisdom from on high, and order things, all things far and nigh. To us the path of knowledge show, and cause us in her ways to go. There is this consistent theme through all of Scripture that God is the source of all wisdom. Look what it says in Jeremiah the prophet. It says in Jeremiah 51, The Lord made earth by his power, and he preserves it by his wisdom. With his own understanding, he stretched out to the heavens. You see, God is the great architect and engineer of everything earthly and heavenly. We, we know this, and it's appropriate for us to say it and sing it from time to time. That's why David says in Psalm 104, O oh Lord, what a variety of things you've made. In wisdom, you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. No one, no one exercises authority over God. No one teaches God, anything. You see, our response to that, that this, this great Lord of, of might is that we might, uh, uh, this great Lord of wisdom is that we should be grateful to him. You know how our wisdom and our orderliness falls short? We were pleased and, and blessed to have 17 people at my house for Thanksgiving dinner. It was fun. I hope you had uh, opportunities like this, right? But we knew everybody was coming, right? We knew how many chairs we needed. We knew how many tables we needed, and the menus were on the the, the refrigerator, okay? So we knew what was going to happen, right? So that should take one trip to the store, right? (laughs) Right? Three trips to the store, one on Thanksgiving morning to get this, that, or the other thing to make that all come out, right? I am so grateful Because I apparently am unable to orchestrate a meal for 17 on my own without the help of every grocery store in town. But God is able to order the lives of all 7.2 billion people alive today, those that were and those that are coming, to a God of wisdom like that. Who, who can make us all in a path of, of righteousness and, 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 and saneness and love and all those sort of things. We're to be grateful. And we're also, of course, to give authority to God. Because we can't teach Him a thing, nor do we ever have any, more, any power that we can say, Well, God, I'll give you a hand with, with, with this. God is the great God of all of the universe. 
And he is the wisdom that put it all together and manages us today. When we sing this hymn, that's what we say we believe. Let's look at the third verse. The third verse says this, O come, thou great Lord of might, who to their tribes on Sinai's height, in ancient times once gave the law, in cloud, in majesty, and awe. You see, we sing when we sing that verse to this hymn, that God is almighty and everything bows to him. Everything bows to God. There is none like him. There will never be another like him, nor is there a potential for, for one like him. And we say that God Almighty comes in mystery and majesty in the clouds of Sinai. Here's the thing. Back when our foremothers and forefathers were living, they believed that no one could see the face of God and live through it. Which means, even though they were hearing God's voice with some regularity, even though God was inspiring the very steps they were taking, they were not viewing Him face to face. And it was important for them not to become so familiar with God that the mystery left Him. You see, mystery, at some level, leads to faith. We are told all the time in scriptures that God plants eternity in our spirits, but not so that we can get a hold on it fully and completely, just so that we yearn for it and we are moved to believe in it, but not so that we can sit down and plan it out because the God of mystery and majesty has already done that. We also need to understand that God comes in majesty. When he comes on Sinai's height, as this verse says, it means that he covers the whole mountain with a cloud, and you can see it. Now, it's not Cecil B. DeMille's, and I'm interested to see what these new guys that are putting out the Exodus movie are going to do with all this, but here's what we know. It is filled with majesty, because, of course, God has no peer. Nobody could make a light show like that. Nobody could make a thunderstorm like that. Nobody could do anything like that, because God comes not to scare us, but what he does, when you look at this, he gives the law on Sinai, the law was, and, and, and I am so discouraged when I hear people read this. Yes, the commandments, many of the Ten Commandments say, don't do this. But the point of the Ten Commandments are to give us a way to live. You know, I, I would think that most of us that grew up as children, most of us grew up as children, right? <laughs> All right. It's one of my best sentences ever, right there. <laughs> educated. All right. So, so when we grew up, if you think about it, much of our learning was us trying something but being taught in the positive, okay, or in the negative. For instance, I probably learned not to stick my hand on the burner of the, fo- the, the stove by, be- by being told, don't, it's hot, right? You know, I, I learned to drive facing traffic. Because don't go the other way. You know, that kind of stuff. We learn in a lot of ways. And so when God gives us the Ten Commandments, understand this, that He's not saying to us, don't have a fruitful life. What He's saying is, do these things and your life will be fruitful. The the God of of majesty and mystery doesn't sit down with us and and say, you know what, Uh, this week, Libby, I want you to do this, this, and this. He says, here's the way. Do this. He doesn't say, Ethan, do this, this, and this. He says, here's the way. Follow this. He says that to all of us in the mystery, in the majesty of who he is. He establishes the way for us to live. Let's take a look at verse 4. 
which reads, O come thou root of Jesse's tree, an ensign <clears throat> pardon me, of thy people be. Before thee ru- rulers silent fall. I love that. The kings and everybody just quiet down. <clears throat> All peoples on thy mercy call. Now what does that mean? Let's start with this. In Isaiah verse 11, chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. A shoot shall come out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. See, this prophecy was perfectly fulfilled in Jesus, the son of Joseph, born as the Messiah in Bethlehem, because he comes from the kingly line of David, the son of Jesse. That's Jesse's root, part of his stump. Okay, so and by becoming a man, by coming, becoming part of the human community, what Jesus becomes, which was something that that the that people would have understood then and we understand now is he becomes a kinsman redeemer. Okay, let's take that apart. Kinsman is someone who knows you, someone that's part of your family and a redeemer is someone who, of course, gives your value back to you. A kinsman redeemer in Jesus day (coughs) was someone that worked like this. A lot of people in those days got into such debt that they sold themselves into slavery or some sort of uh, put a yoke on themselves that they would work for another. And only a kinsman, someone who knew them well, that was part of their family, who had enough money, could come and buy them out, could buy off their debt and set them free. That's a kinsman redeemer. If your cousin comes and buys you out of debt, if someone in your tree comes and do that. Here we have someone that's part of the human tree, the human family, Jesus Christ, who comes to buy the debt of humanity. Humanity, such as it was, has sold itself into slavery to sin and death, and Christ alone is able to buy us back because he becomes as one of us in Jesus of Nazareth, walks beside us, and on the cross is our kinsman redeemer who purchases our debt back from God. He is our kinsman redeemer. And because of that, we sing. And that is the heart of the matter, which is why we sing what we believe. And when we say the words, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. What first century Jews were singing languishing in the oppressed spiritual state of exile, they would cry out this all the time, Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel shall come to thee, O Israel. Like a prisoner who knows they've been pardoned, begins to weep and dance up and down with joy. They feel their pardon coming because they know that the God that is speaking to them is a God who makes sense and a God who does not go back on his promises and a God who always does what he says he'll do. When he said to the people, and Moses, or, or to, to, to Noah, he said, I'm going to restart this whole earth and wipe out everybody with your family, except your family. He did it. When, when the people are trapped in, in Egypt, in, in, in exile, and he comes to them and says, Moses, take those people right through the lake, and I'll set them free. And he does. When he comes to Abraham and Sarai, who are deep into their ages, older than anybody in here right now, and told him they were going to have a baby. He made it happen. And they laughed. And so we rejoice as well. We rejoice because through the years of pain and suffering and brokenness, that all of us 
face, we can rejoice because we have a God who comes. We fling up the wreaths and the Christmas trees and the Advent wreath and all that sort of thing, not just because they're cool, then they are, but because we know our God comes. And because of that, we can rejoice. And the God who comes is not just for Israel. Christ's sacrifice was so great, it couldn't just be limited to Israel. Israel themselves said this. Look what their own prophet Isaiah says in chapter 49. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. You know, the 12 tribes of Jacob. And restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. He is the salvation for all and for any who will call his name. We don't know what it's like to be in slavery. But we do know what it's like to be trapped in this situation or that. We know what it's like to be caught between a rock and a hard place because of this, that, or the other thing. And we know what it's like to need help and to need it desperately. To absolutely be in desperation. And what this carol says is help is coming. Surely that's the meaning of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. That Emmanuel is surely coming. These are the words that we sing and these are the words that we must believe. He is Emmanuel, and He has and He is coming. Believe it when you sing it. Christ has saved us. Christ is saving us. And Christ will be our salvation through eternity. So you want to speak into season treason? Sing it. You want to worry about praise, not pitch. And you want to believe what you sing. Oh, come. Oh, come. Emmanuel, he's coming to rescue you and ransom us all forever. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you cared so much and loved us so richly and deeply. That you sent your son, Jesus, our Savior, as Emmanuel, God to be with us, then and now. And because of that truth, Lord, we have been rescued and restored, and we give you thanks and honor and praise you. And we say it again every day. Because we need you every day in our life. O come, O come, Emmanuel. Amen. Marion Methodist Church is special to me uh, because I grew up here. Uh, I was baptized right here in this in this church 39 years ago. Uh, and simply put, this <coughs> church is my home. Um, I've attended for a long time. I've just made myself, made this my spiritual home and my church family. I choose to give my gifts to Marian Methodist because of the power that this church has to reach out into the community uh, and region and the world to achieve God's mission uh, for us through a variety of different ways, uh, not the least of which being the vast array of ministries that we have here um, that my children take part in and that I've taken part in for the last 39 years, uh, helping to achieve the, the mission that, that God has put in front of all of us. My name is Jason Ull, and these are why I give my gifts to Marian Methodist. Will you please join me in worshiping God this way? Will the ushers please come forward?